Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. Happy New Year. I hope you had a great, great holiday season, and here we are, 2020, a brand new decade. Can you believe it? I absolutely love it. Now, let's get down to it. Hey, listen, if you want to get in touch with us, reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and our cool new YouTube channel. Uh, Search out Crush Performance. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, get them to us. We love every single message we get. We read every one, and we answer pretty much all of them. Info at Crush Performance is the email. And if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate or something you'd just like us to look into, if you have any questions or need some help, reach out to us. If we don't have the answers, I can guarantee to you somebody in the Crush Network will have that answer, and we'll find it. Here's the great thing about the show. We've sort of... Think about it this way. Our job is to get everybody thinking about things that they might not normally think about, whether that's through our contacts and our interviews or just sharing research and information. But here's the cool thing that happens. When you guys respond, interact, write to us, you get us thinking about things that we wouldn't normally think about. Because, you know, regardless of what you do, sometimes you sort of get caught up in that bubble, in your way of thinking, and you get streamlined, and and that's fine. But once in a while, you have to remember to step outside and expand your thinking. And it's so important. And that's why today's day and age of technology with all the podcasts, the radio shows, television, there's so much great information out there. You just have to search out information that's relevant to what you're doing. Our focus, of course, is sport, sport performance, human performance. The implications of the principles of human performance go well, well beyond sport. Anywhere people are trying to aspire and get better or achieve a goal, the principles of development and performance are fairly consistent. You just have to sort of hone it in and specialize it for whatever endeavor you're taking on or sport or goal you're trying to achieve. And here we are, the start of another year. Not just the start of another year, the start of another decade, people. 2020, another decade. I don't know how old you are. If this is your first decade, oh, bless you. If you're well into your decades and accumulating decades, well, here we are again. So whether it's a new year or whether you're looking at it as a new decade, hey, what's your plan? That's the question of the day. What's your plan? Maybe not just for the year 2020, but maybe for the decade, because we know development is a long game. We've been trying to talk about this over the last couple of years. It's a long game. We're so focused on results right now that we're losing a lot of the integrity and foundation that's really helping people achieve at the highest level. And that's why I'm going to tell you, honestly, there's so much opportunity out there in the world right now because everybody's trying to shortcut and it doesn't play. It may shine for a little bit, You might get some results in the short term, but you're not going to have any staying power unless you build that rock solid foundation, no matter what you're doing. Development and human performance is a long game. You have to be patient. Now, here's the thing. We don't make these rules. We've just got to figure out how to play by the rules. You got to figure out what these rules are and you got to figure out how to play by them. And planning is key. So, Anytime we kick off a new year or we set a new goal for ourselves, we have kind of a little procedure we go through. We say we look back to learn. You look to the past to learn and take everything you can, then you bury it away and forget about it. Once you've taken everything you can from your experiences, hone it in, nail it down, bury it, and then look to the future to plan. 
And it's a long game. Plan way out there. Point your compass. And then hone it in. Bring it back in and figure out what you need to do right now in order to start working towards that goal. That's kind of the process. And in my book, The Performance Plan, that's, that's sort of what we lay out for people. And that's why I was so happy to write that book. And that book was the result of, well, a New Year's resolution. In 2018, one of my resolutions was to write my first book. I had no idea what it was going to be about. I had no idea, you know, whether it would be good or not. And I'm not sure, you know, maybe that's in the eye of the beholder, but I'm quite proud of it. Um, but ho- focusing in on the topic of that book was quite an experiment for me. I reached out to a bunch of my athletes and it turns out what they wanted to hear about was the initial conversation that I had with them when we sat down together, whether it was a team or an individual athlete or an athlete and their performance team, the initial steps are to sort of really gl- get a clear idea of where you want to go truly try to understand where you are at and then figure out the steps to getting to where you really, really want to go with short-term goals in mind, but the long game, it's all about the long game. So whether you're a resolution person or not, about 45% of adults set New Year's resolutions, which is great. I'm all about goal setting. The problem is about 80% fail and most of them fail by the middle of February. So why, why do we fail at achieving our goals? Well, there's a lot of reasons. And you know, if we just sat down and had a talk about it, we could probably nail it down fairly, fairly accurately as to why, uh, not just our resolutions, but our goals in general, why do we fail? And I think the number one reason, at least in my books, in my personal experiences, maybe you have similar experiences. You can let us know, write to us at info at crush performance. I'd like to hear what you think about this. But if I were to nail it down, I think one of the top reasons that our goals and our resolutions and you know our objectives fail is they're just unrealistic. Maybe unrealistic at the time, or maybe we expect too much too soon. That might be the another one. They're too aggressive. We want too much too soon. And that's that peak by Friday society that we live in right now. And when we look at what's happening inside of sport and in development in general, um, we're really trying to cram a lot in way too soon on really rickety, shaky foundations. We're not spending enough time building the basics, building that rock solid foundations to make sure that we're raising the ceiling of performance. A lot of the things we do short term might result in benefits short term. But the long-term consequences are what it's all about. So when we look at the developmental pathways, when we look at maintaining or increasing performance at any level of sport or anywhere humans are trying to achieve, you have to keep your eye on the long game. You can't sacrifice the long game for the short game. And it's happening right now, right before our eyes. And I'll say this many times here in 2020, we're destroying way more talent than we're creating, especially in the world of sport, because we don't have our eye on the long game. A lot of these short-term goals and objectives that we have for our youth, for our athletes, are doing long-term damage. So this year on Crush Performance, you know, we always sort of set themes for the year. And this year, we're going to be focusing on organizational performance, what it takes to be a great organization what do great teams and organizations and businesses do what do the great ones do that the other ones don't we're going to get to the bottom of it there's a lot to learn here and it all comes down to the pieces of the puzzle and it's a fascinating conversation i'm looking forward to sort of having this overlying theme uh, for 2020 we're also going to be covering specialization and long-term development i know we talked about that a lot in 2019, but based on your responses and the conversations that we had this last year, 2020 is going to be a very important year for this conversation because we have to correct this. We have to get this right. Early specialization is an incredibly risky business. And we're also going to get back and dedicated to the crush war on sugar. We had a couple great episodes last year, but I want to get back to it with a vengeance because if there's one thing we can do to improve our health and our wellness, it's cut back on sugar. Watch what we eat. 
So let's kick it off here today. Let's take a look back at 2018 and two of my favorite interviews. We'll go back to a conversation or part of the conversation we had with James Kerr, author of Legacy, what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life. And we'll get to crush favorite Dr. Joe Baker about one of the 2020 themes specialization. That's coming up right after this as we kick off 2020 here on Crush Performance. Gentlemen, let's take on 2020 in style. And I'm talking Roan style. If you don't know about Roan, you need to. Roan is a men's performance lifestyle and premium activewear brand designed for us guys and engineered for unparalleled quality and comfort. They're an absolute necessity for guys on the go. It doesn't matter if you're training in the gym or jumping on international flights. Roan is your new go-to men's clothing brand. There's a power in looking good. And no matter your build or physique, Roan can help make it happen. I'm talking comfort, style, durability, and quality. It doesn't matter if I'm heading to the airport, to the office, or to dinner with friends. I'm in my commuter pants, a Delta Polo, and with the cool weather, my Gramercy Snap over, and I'm ready to go. And with Roan's commuter collection, well, it's the superhero version of your everyday workwear. Offering everything from pants, dress shirts, polos, and vests, Roan is obsessive about clothing that's lightweight, comfortable, and wrinkle-free. You know, I've never really had that knack for clothing and style, but I can tell you with Roan's Commuter Collection, it's made it really, really easy for me. When I'm getting that, you look good comment from my wife and daughters, or comments like, Crusher, what's the occasion from the guys at work? <laughs> I know I'm onto something. And for me, the Commuter Collection is perfect for looking great and staying comfortable with its carefree maintenance, total comfort, and effortless style. So let's get you set up to dominate this new year. Here's what you do. Go to roan.com slash crush today and use promo code crush to get 20% off your first purchase. That's roan, R-H-O-N-E.com slash crush with a K, promo code crush to get 20% off. Again, that's roan.com slash crush, promo code crush for 20% off. All the best to you and yours in 2020. Forever forward, gentlemen. Stay tuned. More Crush Performance coming right up. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text Crusher at 101260 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the Crusher. And welcome back to Crush Performance. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. Questions? comments, smart remarks, get to us. We love them all. Or if you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate, please let us know. We may dedicate a segment or an entire episode to your idea. Or if you just like some help with something, you can write to us and we will get to the bottom of it. If we don't have the answer, I can pretty much guarantee that there's somebody in the Crush Network that can get us that answer and we'll find it with you. So get to us, info at Crush Performance is the email. On Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, search out Crush Performance, and we will hook you up with the world of human performance. Speaking of which, 2020, here we come. We often say, look back to learn, look to the future to plan, but get it done in the moment. Focus on what you're doing right now. And to optimize what you're doing right now, you have to have a plan in place. That plan comes from looking back and learning what you've done in the past to make it better, looking forward to make sure you're moving in the right direction and everything you're doing right now is meaning and is moving you to your goals and objectives. And to put it all together, we often say, look to the pros. We look to the pros to see what to do. Sometimes we look to the pros to understand what not to do. We saw some of that this last year, no question about it. But for the most part, if you're trying to achieve and perform at the highest level, you want to look to the top performers in whatever field you're in. So I wanted to take a look back right now at somebody who's actually been inside the world of one of the most dominant, successful sporting organizations in the history of sport, the All Blacks. We had a fantastic interview this last year with James Kerr, author of the book Legacy, what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life. And there was plenty to take out of this conversation. Have a listen. Mr. James Kerr, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's a real pleasure, Jeff. It's great to be here. Well, um, let's start with this. Uh, I'd like to sort of kick off with your background and your experiences in the business world. And I want to talk a bit about your company, Fable. You're a co-founder of a company called Fable. I really, really like the whole concept of Fable and what you guys are all about. But James, what led you down that path uh, to get to the point where you became this um, business advisor and with this very cool twist on, on development and organizational performance? Yeah, great, great. Thanks, thanks for the question. Um, you know, I'm a writer at heart. A word, 
a word man, a storyteller. And I, I, I began in advertising, actually, uh, as a copywriter and then a creative director. And, and it, more and more, I was working with the leadership of teams, uh, leadership teams of, of, of large organizations and looking at, you know, how do you create effective cultures, uh, you know, high-performance cultures within organizations, certainly within the leadership teams, the, the C-suite, if you like, uh, but also, you know, within the teams of teams within organizations and, and, and how do you create that culture? And uh, with, with, with my partner, Roger Hart, we put together an organization called Fable and, and we look at large-scale change programs um, through the prism of storytelling. Um, you know, stories, you know, are the way we learn. You know, anyone who's got children has seen them watch the same story over and over and over and over again. And, and we took that, took that, uh, approach, um, you know, the idea that stories, you know, a good story changes things, you know, a great story changes everything. Uh, and, and we applied it to, to defining and designing and delivering culture change within organizations in terms of defining it around, you know, who's the hero of your story? What's their mission? What's the holy grail, if you like? What are the values? Who are your allies? All of those kind of ways of looking at uh, looking at a, a process and then designing it, you know, what is the story? What is the core story, the, the ethos at the heart of this organization? And then how do we deliver it by crackingly good stories, uh, whether that's viral, whether it's posters, whether that's um, presentation. And so we find that that, that story um, framework, if you like, uh, uh, really engages people because it's it's at the core of how human beings connect and learn and communicate uh, and so on. So it's, it's, it's been very successful uh, for us and very powerful, we think, for our clients and we hope for our clients. And, and the evidence would seem to back that up. No, I really like it, James. You know, when you look back at the history of mankind, I think communication started with storytelling. If we go back to even some of the paintings we see on the cave walls, to the hieroglyphics, to some of the early ancient writings that we see. And on the Fable website, you have fable, and then you have narrative, and then you have folklore. And I really like this concept. It just seems... James, it just seems really right in today's fast-paced, high-tech world. Um, this just seems so deeply fundamental and right. Um, I'm really intrigued by it and, and, and its effectiveness as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know if, if you think about it, you know, we're all still sort of sitting around the campfire swapping stories. You know, we read newspapers for the stories. We gossip for the stories. We go to the movie for the stories. Even sport uh, really is predicated on the idea of what an extraordinary story, you know, I think of the, the Patriots and their final quarter and that extraordinary turnaround they pulled a few years ago. Um, you know, the, the, the thing they were talking to each other about in the huddle was, you know, this will make a great story, a damn fine story, being able to turn it around. And so they're incredibly motivating. And it's a way that we're able to frame ourselves in terms of our relationships with, with others. You know, what's the story of our life? You asked me, what the, what the story is that uh, took me to fable, if you like. So it, it's kind of the web and the weft of how human beings connect and communicate. And that idea of folklore is there are many different ways to, to tell a story. There's, there's the spoken word, there's the written word, there's the visual, there's, there's ritual. Um, you know, the All Blacks I've obviously written around have, uh, about have the, have the haka, which is kind of a form of compressed story, an embodiment of, of what they stand for. Uh, there are so many different ways of, of, of telling stories and of capturing that each of them could become an embodiment uh, of, your, of your core, core culture, uh, of, of the way we do things around here, of our standards and expectations, of, of our commitment to one another and so on. So, so um, you, know, it's a, you know, it's a lot of fun uh, and, and it also gets a lot of, I sort of hate the word, but a lot of traction uh, because stories stick. Yep, I really like it. We're talking with James Kerr, the uh, co-founding or founding partner at Fable. The website is fablepartners.com. And of course, the author of the crush favorite book, uh, Legacy, what the all blacks can teach us about the business of life. Um, so let's go there, James, because uh, you are one heck of a storyteller. Uh, Legacy is one of my all-time favorite books. Uh, such great information in there. But it is, as you mentioned, one hell of a story. And um, I really maybe want to start here. I know you've had some background in the military with the girl and the Tier 1 Special Forces and also in sports team. But, but what led you to the All Blacks and to this great, great project that turned out to be Legacy? 
Well, uh, well, first, thank you for thank you for for your words. Um, what led me to it? You know, I'm a I'm I'm a Kiwi. I'm a New Zealander, though I've lived in London for in the United Kingdom. I'm currently living in Bali, finishing another book, but but I live in the United Kingdom, really. And so I've been away from home for a long time. But 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 every New Zealander grows up with the All Blacks. It's very central to their sense of identity and self and. And there's great pride in this extraordinary team that really proves to this, you know, small island nation on the other side of the world, effectively, of four million or so people, that the Kiwis can can compete and win and keep on winning with the best in the world, you know, all around the world. And and that's tremendously, it's a tremendously powerful um, uh, kind of cultural story, I guess, um, and and manifestation. And so. You know, so I, I was a fan, and uh, I'd I'd worked with and written about sports teams in the past. I'd, I've I've done a book, for instance, on the Australian Rugby League team, another incredibly successful team, the Kangaroos, and I wanted to apply that to the to uh, to my team, uh, if you like. Um, which helps, of course, as the All Blacks are extraordinarily successful. They're arguably, almost inarguably, the most dominant team in their sport. In human history, they've gone. They've competed for 125 years on the world stage, and they've won just around about 80% of all encounters. You know, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary statistic. They've only lost at home. I think it's now 40 times. Um, they've won three World Cups. They currently hold all the silverware it's possible to own in their sport. And so, what I was interested in doing is going was was asking the kind of questions. You know, how do they do it? Um, and and what can we learn about you know, leading a, a team, leading a business, and in many ways, leading a life. Um, there are some fantastic kind of life lessons. You know, it's, it's what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life and about our decisions and our and literally leading a life. It's a leadership book, but about leading a life. So, so it was a mixture of being a New Zealander, loving the All Blacks, being a kind of super fan, managing to gain some access, and putting together those two worlds, the worlds that I knew from... Uh, from from the worlds of business and other sporting teams, with the All Blacks as a fantastic case study of of not just success but of sustainable success. And I was interested in in you know many teams are on that kind of alpha curve. They win one season, they go down the next. But but what sets the teams apart that are able to do it? You know, game after game, week after week, season after season, decade after decade. And and that's really what I wanted to to look at and 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 write about. What an absolute dream for a young Kiwi. Five weeks with the All Blacks on their road to the World Cup, and it turned out to be just a fabulous experience for you and a great book for us. Um, James, one of the things I think uh, if people read the book, people who have read the book, one of the things that are just a constant throughout through the ups and downs of the All Blacks history is this whole idea of character. And one of the great stories in there, uh, sort of a, a spoiler alert for everybody, I've, I've got to ask you a few questions about the book, but I really love the concept of the socks story, putting on the socks. What an incredible lesson uh, that was. It, it really struck me uh, as, as a very important part of that culture. Well, and, and that, 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 that story really came from, from um, John Wooden, in fact, the UCLA, UCLA Bruins coach uh, in the 60s, the, you know, one of the most extraordinary and influential coaches, I would say, you know, in world sport. And he would, uh, he would in, in, his, in his first session, um, he would get the players together and they would spend an hour or so or longer just learning how to put on socks. And that... Uh, that devotion to the basics, the humility that it takes to come down and think that you know no job is is too small, um, is an incredibly powerful, powerful story. Well, you know, within the All Blacks environment, um, the story I think that's become famous is the sweeping the shed story. Exactly. You know, after after every game, the All Blacks would tidy up after themselves. They would sweep the sheds, and you know, you have to remember they were you know they just played in front of huge crowds. Were helicopters overhead trying to kind of capture footage of them leaving the, the stadium kids all over the world dreaming of all black glory and but the all blacks themselves would take the time to grab long-handled brooms and sweep all of that mud and blood and strapping into corners and, and leave the place you know pristine and and really that's about having the humility to learn I think it's about never getting ahead of yourself there's a phrase within the team, you know, perform like you're number one, but prepare like you're number two. Um, never get ahead of yourself. Um, 
There's another story that the great Dan Carter told. Told um, I, I had the privilege of sharing a stage with him. Dan Carter is the, you know, in in American sport would be the great quarterback. You know, he's the the, the fly half, the first five eight. Um, and he, he he said he he won World Player of the Year a couple of times in a row, I believe. And one of the figures, the the older figures from the from New Zealand rugby, would come down to the training ground and come up to him, just kick at his feet. And Dan was only 22, 23 at the time, so he didn't want to kind of answer the boss back. So he, he put up with it for a while, and you know the boss came and kicked his feet for a bit, and, and he just ignored it. And on, on about the third time, he said, oh, come on, mate, what, what are you doing? You know, why are you kicking my feet? And, and his boss said, I just want to make sure your feet are still on the ground. <laughs> and it's that idea, that kind of top-to-bottom humility of staying grounded, of not getting ahead of yourself just because you've 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 made it doesn't mean you'll make it the next day. Just because you're getting, you know, in sport, many people are getting a lot of money, um, a lot of privileges, you know, a lot of uh, uh, fame. You know, there's nightclubs, there's 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 everything that goes with all of that. Um, and of course, that's you know, entitlement is the enemy of high performance, really. So, keeping your feet on the ground, staying humble, staying hungry becomes one of those kind of key factors, one of the killer apps, if you like, in creating that culture of sustained success. So, you know, put on your socks, you know, sweep the sheds, do the basics. Uh, Joe Montana, I know, uh, used to go and do basic plays at the beginning of every training session. Then um, uh, Lombardi uh, used to go, uh, his first session in the training practice was, gentlemen, this is a pigskin, this is a football. Um, coming back to the basics, um, focusing on the humble craft is, I think, the first building block in creating that sustainable success. Oh, great stuff. We're talking with James Kerr, the author of the Crush Must Read favorite book, Legacy, What the All Blacks Can Teach Us About the Business of Life. Um, James, John Wooden said, and you have this in the book, um, winning takes talent to repeat takes character and character is one of those fundamental things we see in your time with the all blacks simple powerful sayings like leave the jersey in a better place gives me goosebumps and brian locker's uh six words better people make better all blacks just powerful powerful words yeah um the better people make better all blacks was really the in 2004 the team faced um a turning point uh i i think the culture wasn't in a healthy place. It was sort of dominated by a, a, a few strong characters uh, and worst of all losing. And they were losing on the field largely I think because they were losing it off the field. And the new management group, coaching group, um, decided they need to, you know, how I'd describe it, kind of reboot the All Blacks culture. And they did it around this uh, great phrase better people make better All Blacks. And you know, better All Blacks, that's the day job. That's that's you know, catch pass, that's that power pace and position. It's it's all of that rugby stuff. But the the real focus became about the better people. It's about how do you create character? How do you how do you create leadership at every level? Um what what what's called technically I guess a distributed leadership model, a CEO in every position. And I think you know, that was the the real shift uh for for, for that particular team at that particular time was was that empowerment uh, of everybody and that focus on the leadership potential about uh, a, a leadership potential of everyone because you get ownership and contribution and discretionary effort and um, and responsibility and really that comes down to the development of character and you know one of the interesting things I found out is that you know you can, ethos uh, which we talk about as sort of culture it really is the ancient Greek word for character mm-hmm. the characteristic the characteristic spirit of a team the character of a human being in our our ethos is incredibly important. The ancient Greeks defined ethos in a really interesting way. Um, it was, you know, now we, we define character as kind of our attributes, um, our, our, our values expressed and so on. But, but the Greeks saw that as just one side of a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin, there's character, our, our attributes, who we are, what we stand for, and so on. But the other side of the coin was character like a, like a typewriter character. It kind of makes an impact. It leaves a mark. And that relationship between... You know, the story we tell ourselves, who we are, and the story that we, the impact that we make out on the world is, is, is correlated, is, is related. And so by working on our own ethos, our own character, we're able to help define our success 
confirmed. And I, I think that was something the All Blacks did brilliantly, um, uh, and and it and it and it is made an extraordinary difference within that environment. But it, it's not just the All Blacks that look at that. You know, the the, the U.S. Navy SEALs, for instance, talk, talk about a whole man policy. You know, rather than just be good at at you know kicking down doors. Um, it's incredibly important for 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 those um, you know elite actors, if you like, um, those those tactical athletes, to me to be able to make great decisions in every part of their life. Because you know we spend most of our time not doing the thing that we do, and so our behaviour, the decisions that we make, all of all of those um, small decisions lead to uh, to the kind of decisions that we make under pressure and and when things are difficult. So that character in all and you know in business you know we're in a we're in a time of great change of great flux there's plenty of corruption there's plenty of things that you know you only need to look at at, at some of the scandals around facebook or around taxation or the enrons of this world uh, to realize that uh, to really create sustainable success and to remove reputation risk and to create cohesion and coherence within any organization um Focusing on the individual character and the collective character is incredibly important, incredibly powerful to sustain success. There you go. Certainly one of the top interviews from 2019. And I think, honestly, one of the top 10 interviews in the history of Crush Performance Legacy is one of my favorite books of all time. And I was so looking forward to connect and talk with Mr. Kerr about his experiences. But more importantly, um, how he put it all together in the book and the takeaways that he presented and how important it is for organizational performance. And again, inside and outside of sport, this is an incredibly important conversation. And in 2020, one of our main themes is going to be organizational performance. So we'll be referring back to this conversation quite often, and we're going to be touching base with James Kerr in 2020. He has a new book coming out. So once that book is ready, we're going to get a preview of that, and it's going to be fantastic. Trust me there. Well, another theme we have going into 2020 is specialization and long-term development. Now, a lot of the research here is going to be focused on sport. But trust me, when it comes to human development, it's a long game. Coming up after the break, one of our number one conversations in 2019 about the downfalls and pitfalls of specialization and how we have to harness the long game when it comes to developing people, no matter what we're doing. Stick around more Crush Performance 2019 in review right after this. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Listen, get in touch with us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on social media. Search out Crush Performance, Instagram, Facebook, our cool new YouTube channel. There's going to be a lot of action going on on those platforms here in 2020 as we kick off the new year. And as always, we've picked a number of themes to focus on over the course of this year, along with all of the regular Crush stuff, the start of the MLB season, the upcoming Olympics, NFL, NBA, all the stories, research and development, everything we do regularly. If you listen to the show, we always have overlying themes year to year. And this year we're going to be looking at organizational performance. What makes teams, organizations, businesses tick? What do the top performing organizations do that others don't? We're going to get to the bottom of it. We're also going to talk about specialization and long-term development and the crush war on sugar will return with a vengeance. So we're really looking forward to these overlying themes here in 2020. But as we look back on 2019, we started these conversations and we started them with a couple of powerful, powerful interviews. We just heard a portion of one of the top interviews in crush history with James Kerr talking about his book, Legacy, what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life. But we also had another powerful conversation that I wanted to recap before we kick off our 2020 campaign. And that was an interview we did with Crush favorite Dr. Joe Baker from York University, talking about specialization, athlete development, and everything we need to consider if we're truly, truly going to help our young, developing talent reach their potential. Listen to this interview. 
And we're joined now by crush favorite Dr. Joe Baker, sports scientist at York University. Dr. Baker, thanks for joining us today. And my pleasure. Well, I just got back um, from Brazil. I'm in the middle of a wicked summer world tour, it seems, when it comes to player development, athlete development. And I was actually really excited to get you on to talk about um, talent, talent ID, and the processes of, of development when it comes to athletics. Because this is an area, I think, that we still have a lot to learn. Um, of course, heading into the fall here, uh, all the professional drafts are done, but school's starting up. And when it comes to recruiting and school and development, uh, I think that when it comes to identifying talent, Dr. Baker, we still have a lot to learn because it's it's not even close to being exact science, is it? No, it's not even close. And I think the the part we don't realize is how new talent sciences as a as a field of research right we're doing a big um, massive review of all the research that's come out in the last 30 years on talent and it's so um, top heavy like the 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 amount of work that we're putting into uh, talent research right now is just starting to uh, to peak and you go back 20 years and there's maybe two three studies of uh, research on talent and so this idea that there's this massive evidence base like coaches and scouts and um, and parents have for making decisions about whether their kid has talent or not is complete falsehood. There's just no evidence out there, so you couldn't make an evidence based decision if you wanted to. It's really interesting. You know, one of my fascinations has been, where does this talent come from? I've been lucky enough to work in a number of professional sports and, of course, with Olympic athletes. And I've been around some of the best minds in the world. And it just fascinates me to see um, players who would be deemed um, probably early in their sporting careers uh, to have no hope of a future in sport. And then others who seem to be the young sort of phenoms in their age groups, especially through the mid-teen years, sort of disappear to the wayside. And, and when you get into the research, a lot of the research on talent comes from music, chess, cooking. There's a wide, wide berth of, of information out there. But it just, when I get into the research and look, look at what we know about talent, I am just so amazed how far off we really are. I've seen it with my own eyes, these young athletes who are deemed to have no future in sport go on not only to be successful but impact sport and I guess maybe that just reflects how little we truly know about the process of development or maybe more about identifying talent at a certain point in time well I think it's a bit of both right like the the you know the the most interesting thing about that whole thing is it's probably the person telling that athlete you know what you don't have what it takes that is a really important um, you know, stimulus for increased work on their part, or, you know, I'm going to show them that kind of stuff. You know, the whole Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school basketball team right. myth, which, um, you know, when you look at it one way, it's, well, yeah, I'm going to show you. And so I put in more hard work and it's the hard work that eventually leads to them being this amazing force. The flip side of that is just how few uh, people that look like they're prodigies when they're young and look like they're great bets for talent actually don't end up being anything. And so, you know, I think it speaks to the complexity of this whole process. And, and, you know, part of that is the identification and the selection, but the more important part is the nurturing of that process all the way along. And the, the idea that we know how to nurture that process, well, I think is another falsehood about athlete development. Yeah, we're talking with Dr. Joe Baker, sports scientist from York University. Uh, Dr. Baker, it's interesting. Um, I've I've had a chance to sort of um, follow very closely some of the young talents being drafted and then into their into their professional careers, and it takes time. And I think this is one of the things that that we've sort of lost track of. And it, as we look into maybe the pro- professional world, um, we're seeing the scouts and the talent uh, recruiters trying to look younger and younger trying to identify it earlier and the problem with that is that i'm seeing anyway is the earlier we look at this talent the more inaccurate our ability to predict their futures are yeah absolutely and the the data for that is pretty clear and even if we wait until you know the 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 age at the professional drafts the draft selections are are massively inaccurate and so you know start backing that up and say well instead of 19 we're going to look at 15 or 13 well just forget it you you'd have to show me some pretty compelling evidence for me to believe that that uh, those selections are accurate because the evidence we have is that you know you're throwing darts at a dartboard in the dark 
<laughs> I like the analogy, and I think it's pretty accurate as well. One of the things we say to our young athletes, um, regardless of what their aspirations are in sport, and, and even if they're not involved in sport when it comes to their academics or their music or whatever the, the young talents are, are pursuing, um, we say we don't really know. And this is something I'm really trying to uh, uh, spread inside of our, our world anyway, uh, I say to every athlete and their parents, we don't know how good you can become until you go through the process. And then it gets me thinking, what exactly does a good process look like? Because we see incredible talents coming from all different areas, all different back- backgrounds, and certainly incredibly diverse environments. Yeah, and I think that's part of the whole um, issue that we continue to struggle with even after 150 years is this idea that it's nature or nurture when, in fact, it's a combination of both. Uh, You don't know if you have the right genetic raw materials until you put in those thousands of hours of practice. And so the idea that you split it into, well, you know, it's all about hard work or it's all about having the right genetics. No, it's a combination of both. And like you said, until you put in those hours of training, especially for sports like baseball or soccer or, or football, where the, the environment's dynamic, the requirements for performance and success are, are uh, variable and, and changing all the time. You know, if we're talking about a sport like rowing, where it's all about moving fast in a straight line and, and the physics of lever length and you know, those kind of sports, yeah, I could buy the argument that we just need a, a person with long levers and so, you know, predict feet hike velocity of, of nine-year-olds and you'd have a pretty decent talent selection system. When you start to add those levels of complexity to the sports that you're talking about, then very quickly those models of, you know, just being able to look at somebody and know that they've got it or they don't, those models fall out the window. I guess that takes us back to the very, very important question of specialization. And of course, uh, you and I have talked about that conversation on this show before, but um, the conversation isn't going away. As much as we know about the developmental process, we still see this this tendency or this urge to specialize early in most sports and get your young young athletes specialized so they can have an, a, a sort of an advantage uh, going into their sport. When we know for the most part, and, and maybe on a larger scale, it, it actually probably restricts top-end development quite a bit. That selection age, those early ages in sport, is such an important time, one, to build that diversity in the sport experience. We know that. But also from a psychological side, it gives an athlete sort of an ability to choose which sport maybe they're suited for from a, from a psychological standpoint. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. And, you know, for me, the the positive thing in that whole specialization debate is just how clear the message from uh, researchers and policymakers has become, right? The um, the Canadian Sport for Life 3.0 model came out a couple weeks ago, and it's really clear that, you know, the best thing that we can do for young kids is have them practice and, and participate in a range of different sports, delay selection as long as possible, all that great stuff. The problem is, when you have a sports system where the sports work in isolation of each other and where the early development is driven by, you know, for lack of a better word, a capitalist agenda, Mm. which is, you know, it's all about money making of the person driving the program, then well, selection um, is, is the, um, is the means to the end, right? Having an athlete in your program that you actively say, well, don't participate in my program in the summer, go and participate in someone else. Well, that doesn't put money in your pocket. And so when we have programs that are driven by that kind of entrepreneurship, instead of what's the best decision for the athlete, it doesn't matter how much great research we have and how clear our policies are. There's still going to be a massive problem with kids over specializing. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's where we have to empower parents and athletes to make really, really informed choices. And that's why I think uh, discussions like this are so important. We're talking with Dr. Joe Baker, sports scientist from New York University, uh, because uh, Dr. Baker, this is a very, very important uh, discussion. And again, to get elite athletes out of a system uh, is, is, is fun and it's great. And, and it's, it's, it's important for, for, um, um, I guess maybe the, the, uh, the developmental process, reflecting on the developmental process. But our number one goal is to keep people involved in sport. And if they're dropping out at incredible rates at the age of 12, 13, and 14, I think we're really, really missing maybe one of the larger, most important goals. And that's making sure people are participating. 
Yeah, I think, you know, if we were to, um, and I challenge coaches when I do uh, workshops on talent ID with them, like how would you redesign your athlete development program if you if you assumed that you were terrible at, at identifying and selecting talent instead of assuming that you're good? Because I think most coaches assume that they're good at this process and all of our evidence is that they're not good and that they make selections at, at, wrong, at the wrong time without uh, the right evidence and um, and so if you were to design a program where your assumption was that you're terrible at this outcome instead of good at it, how would you design that program? And you design a program where everybody was participating for much longer than they do now. You'd kind of hedge your bets on athletes and, and not exclude them from the program because we know that exclusion has developmental consequences and, and it would be a more efficient program. And so you know, part of that is the specialization um, part of it, but another part of it is just Hey, if we if our goal was keeping people involved in the programs for as long as possible, we would design a different program. Mm. And um, I, when you can kind of see the light bulb go on in coaches' minds when when they first we do a whole thing on how little evidence we have that we can provide them to support their decisions, and then we give them this, you know, how would you redesign the program? And you see the light bulbs go on and you know you've changed that coach for the the way they interact with young athletes from that point forward. Yeah, no question. I think the great spinoff of a, a culture like that would be um, more high-performance athletes and more athletes uh, probably pursuing sport to higher levels because they're, they're uh, um, enjoying their, their, the process. And I, I think we see this. One of the interesting things I've seen here in the last couple of years was some of the data coming out of the NCAA looking at athletes who um, sign pro or go pro out of high school, as opposed to going through a college career first and so much more success at the higher levels after going through a college career, which just seems like common sense, doesn't it? I mean, uh, to have that time away from home, a little more independent as a, as a university or college student, uh, but having that time to, uh, I guess, develop a little longer, uh, kind of makes some sense. Yet we rush our young people into these programs uh, much too early, I think. Well, and it's interesting because there's some evidence coming out of the U.S. that, and I'm sure it's the same thing in Canada, that the players, um, are not necessarily the players, but the kids entering the university and college system are, are developmentally delayed from where a generation uh, ago they were. And, you know, sometimes it's one or two years delayed in terms of their social development because of social media and too much time on screens and too little social engagement and all these kinds of things in the way that society is changing. Hmm. And you know that this is going to have an effect on athletes as well, because, you know, with the over um, involvement of parents, um, that they're not providing their athlete with these opportunities for personal growth and independence. And this is going to have an, uh, uh, consequences and implications for their development as um, high-performance athletes in the future. Yeah, interesting. That is a fascinating stat. Uh, and, and I've never really considered this before because um, um, it's so, so true. Uh, our environments are changing. The way our kids are growing up are changing. And it's literally, as you mentioned, delaying the developmental process pretty fascinating pretty powerful yeah really really cool and you know just to take a step back uh, while we were talking about the specialization part like for me i think if i was a if i was a coach i would be looking for a sport that i could partner with so that i could build a program that had diversification as the um as the uh, the the central tenet right that that okay we're going to we're going to develop great basketball players and part of developing a great basketball player is you're going to play soccer in the summer mm-hmm. um and we're going to link with this soccer team and these are our basketball related outcomes that we're going to develop through soccer participation and you know build it from that sense up that's for me that's how you meet both the goals of you know, um, diversification and, and fundamental movement skill development, all that kind of stuff. But you still maintain that that entrepreneurship and you keep people in your program. I think that's how you achieve both ends. And it's amazing that nobody really that I've seen in North America has started capitalizing on that yet. And there's a portion of that very, very important conversation with Dr. Joe Baker. And what a way to finish. There is such great opportunity out there for the organizations that actually understand the process of talent development. And this is not restricted in any way, shape, or form to youth sport. 
There's major mistakes being made across the board in virtually every single sport at every level of the game, including the professional levels, especially when we look at athlete management recovery strategies. Uh, we still have a long way to go. It's getting better. Conversations like this are really important. But if I were to say to you, we're destroying more talent than we're creating, what would you say? Well, I stand by that, and that's going to be one of the overlying themes again coming up here in 2020. And frankly, I can't wait. Our overlying themes for 2020 are organizational performance. What makes teams and organizations tick? What do the great organizations do differently? We're going to look at specialization, long-term development, development in any platform where humans are trying to achieve and accomplish goals and objectives are very, very similar. There's fundamental principles that must be followed, and it's a long game, and the crush war on sugar will continue. And of course, we'll be covering all the other great crush stuff that we normally cover, and we'll be responding to your texts, your emails, and your messages. So get them to us. Crushperformance.com, again, is the website. All right, that'll do it for today, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in as we took a look back on 2019 to learn, as we always do, and we look forward to 2020 coming up next week. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about specialization in sports. We're going to get into the crush war on sugar with one of the nutritionists out of the NFL. And we're also going to look at organizational performance, three of our themes for this upcoming year. Now get out there, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Since 1974, I've been helping a lot of individuals, but I've been helping them only going to the future for planning, strategy, and tactics. Only. Only going to the past for swift, objective analysis and evaluation, and consequently, learning. And I've helped people keep the majority of their thoughts in the moment. That's where the quality of life resides. Why not you? I believe that you can trim 25% to 35% of your thoughts by just eliminating negativity. But you need to be aware. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.